I want to welcome everyone to another edition of the Trumpet Series Bible Study Broadcast. This is your host, Brother Nick Bailey, coming to you live from the United Baptist Church Auditorium on this Wednesday, February the 16th, 2022. I apologize as I still have this um, uh, cough. That I've been struggling with the last couple of days, but I hope everybody's having a good day uh, and a good week all together. This is Wednesday, so you know what that means. It's prayer meeting night at your local church, and I don't know about anybody else, but I sure am excited about another opportunity to be in church uh, this evening. Here at United Baptist Church, we're going to be having upstairs prayer meeting and Bible study services. But then downstairs, we'll be having our United for Christ Youth Services. We'll be picking up kids from all across the community and bringing them to church for a good time of food fellowship and most of all, the study of God's Word. So if you don't have a church home or if your local church doesn't have an active youth program, I want to invite you to either bring your kids to the uh, United for Christ program or just give us a call at 863-1830. And we'll be glad to pick them up as long as they're either inside or close, within close proximity to the city limits here in Greenville. And if you do choose to bring your kids, you can enjoy the upstairs Bible study while the kids attend the United for Christ program downstairs. But whatever you do, whether it be at United Baptist Church or at any other church of like faith and practice, just make sure you faithfully support a Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study service somewhere. Again, we have classes for all ages up through high school age, beginning um, with the toddler age. So again, as long as they're potty trained, uh, especially the teenagers, I'm just kidding. But as long as your children are potty trained, uh, we would encourage you to allow them to be part of our United for Christ uh, program. Again, 7 o'clock p.m. tonight. And you pray that the Lord gives us a good number of young people that we're able to teach them about the Word of God and maybe that some young child or teenager might give their hearts to Jesus Christ. Also want to remind you about the Ark Thrift Store, the Ark uh, Ministries located at, uh, again, um, 313 East Bernard Avenue uh, here in Greenville. The Ark Thrift Store open Monday through Friday, 10 o'clock a.m. to 5 o'clock p.m., uh, again, we've got all kinds of new furniture and uh, uh, just just a lot of different items that have come into the, school, the store. The inventory is very well stocked right now, can I just say that? And uh, again, pray for the ARC Ministries and all the things that we're endeavoring to do to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, helping those who have practical and tangible needs by way of Christian benevolence. And, uh, boy, just got all kinds of things on our hearts and minds that we would like to do here in the near future through the ARC ministry. So, again, uh, pray for that ministry just by way of prayer request before we get right into today's Bible study. I want to continue to remember uh, to, uh, uh, I want to encourage you to continue to remember the Chapman family. Uh, Miss Nancy Chapman experienced the recent loss of her husband. Pray for Bob Price. Remember Shirley Neese, remember Lula Kutchall, uh, as she's in the hospital right now, pray for Cheryl Davis, Brother Gary Gridley as he's been sick, remember Miss Tanya Barham as well as Zach Stanton. These are just a few needs that we have. So let's pray and we'll get right into today's uh, uh, Bible, Bible study portion of the Trumpet Series. Father in heaven, Lord I love you and I thank you <coughs> God for your goodness, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you, Lord, for another opportunity that we have just to um, conduct this uh, program. And, Lord, what a blessing it has been to us. And, Lord, I pray that it would be a blessing to those who hear or watch it, uh, whether, whether, whether it be by the forum of live stream, Facebook, uh, YouTube upload, or even uh, podcast. So, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, not allow your word to return void, but it would accomplish the purpose you send it forth to do. God, I pray that your word would find good ground, Lord, that it would uh, uh, burn abundance of fruit in, in hearts and lives. I pray that we would not only be forgetful hearers of thy word, but we'd be faithful doers of the work as well. 
I pray, God, that your word might be a lamp to our feet and a light in our path. We'd hide your word in our hearts so we might not sin against thee. Honor your word, exalt your son to the humble servant. If there might be one today that's lost, I pray that they might uh, be saved. And Lord, for those, uh, Lord, that are young in the faith, or all of us, God, who are still learning and growing in our spiritual walk with thee, I pray that you would just uh, uh, burn these truths uh, within the innermost parts of our being, and Lord, that your word might be like a, a hammer, and Lord, it might be like a fire shut up in our bones. God, have you will in your way. We're going to praise you in advance for what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, on yesterday's episode of the Trumpet Series, we really were able to cover quite a bit of ground in our study. And for us, two or three verses means we've covered a lot of ground. That's one thing that I've just you know, made a priority about this study, uh, this, this program, is I don't want to get uh, in too much of a hurry. So many times when we teach and preach the Word of God in uh, regular congregational and church settings, we uh, skip over and we, we rush through uh, the material so we can cover as much ground as possible. But you know, Bible study is not just about quantity or how uh, many books you study, how many chapters you read, or how many verses uh, that you're able to uh, go through from day to day. But it's also about quality. Amen. And, and boy, you can just take an individual verse uh, or even a few words within uh, a particular verse and you can glean so much from it. So we're just, uh, amen, we're um, gearing down into first gear and we're plowing down as deep as we can and trying to dig up all the meat and, and, and uh, get as much depth of the truths of God's Word as we possibly can. So yesterday we spent our time examining verses number 14 through 16 in the sixth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. And in that study, we spent a good portion of our time talking about the words dominion, submit, and obey as they relate to just exactly who or what we Christians choose to yield ourselves to whether it be sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. And bottom line, because the dominion, authority, and reign of grace in our lives is greater and more powerful than the reign of sin, uh, aren't you thankful for that? That um, where sin abounded, much uh, grace did much more abound. Uh, God's grace always has been and always will be greater than our sin. We who are saved have no excuse whatsoever to, contending, to continue yielding ourselves and especially the individual members of our bodies under sin after we get born again. Why? Because when we experience the new birth in our lives spiritually, we were delivered out from under the reign and dominion of sin. And we were placed in under a new reign and a new dominion of grace uh, through Jesus Christ. Now if you remember during yesterday's study, I told you that I believe that the last section of Romans chapter 6 can be divided into three distinct sections as they relate to three key and primary words that are found within the last section of this chapter. And they are as follows. Favor, freedom, and fruit. The three F's. Favor, the, the favor of God, the freedom of God, and the fruit of God. And I said that although the word favor itself is not mentioned in the text, I do believe it is an accurate synonym for another word that is used, which is grace. When we talk about the grace of God or the favor of God, these words are interchangeable. And as Christians, if we are going to be able to uh, live successfully and victorious in our efforts um, to please God, uh, and under the rule, the reign, and the dominion of Christ rather than sin, it is very important for us to make sure that we have the grace and favor of God uh, entered upon our lives spiritually. Just like Joseph in the Old Testament, the Bible says that the Lord was with him. And that's why God prospered him. It wasn't about his circumstances. It wasn't about the particular situations that he faced or went through. Amen. Regardless of where he was at, it didn't change the fact that the Lord was with him and that the favor of God and the grace of God rested upon his life. I want God's grace and favor on my life. Say amen right there. But now there's an appreciation, but God be thanked. Here Paul expresses an attitude of thankfulness and appreciation in his life. And let me just say today, all we're going to be able to cover is one verse. Verse 17 is just another one of these verses 
within the confines of chapter number 6 of the book of Romans that is absolutely loaded with good uh, practical information that will help us and be a blessing to our lives as Christians. But Paul is expressing an attitude of thankfulness or an attitude of gratitude. Thanksgiving is not just one day a year. But it ought, to, it, ought, it ought to be an attitude that permeates our lives every single day that we live as human beings. But an attitude of thankfulness and appreciation in his life for the fact that through salvation he had been delivered from the reign and the dominion of sin that he had at one time been under. And friend, can I just say that I am convinced that thankfulness and appreciation in our lives as God's people is a very important part of our spiritual lives as Christians. And I think we would all admit from the pulpit to the pew that we who are saved could be and should be more thankful than what we are. We tend to neglect. We tend to uh, uh, not appreciate the goodness of God as much as we ought. And I believe that the degree and level <coughs> of thankfulness you live in and, uh, and under as a Christian provides a good gauge and thermometer. Uh, for just exactly where you're at in your life spiritually as a child of God. Uh, in other words, if, you're gonna, if you are spiritual, you will be thankful. And if you're unthankful and you're ungrateful, then that is a good indication that your spiritual life as a child of God is not what it ought to be. Amen. But also I believe there's a connection between remembrance and thankfulness as well. For when we are mindful... Of the past blessings God has bestowed upon us, I believe we'll, be, we'll also be thankful. To be mindful is to be thankful. But to be uh, forgetful is to be unthankful and ungrateful uh, for all the Lord's done for us and on our behalf. By the way, the Bible has quite a bit to say about the importance of mindfulness and remembrance in our lives as God's people, 2 Peter 1, 12 and 13, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in this present truth. Um, yea, I think it need as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. How many of you today would, would say, Brother Nick, uh, I need to be stirred up in my faith. Uh, I've become stale and stagnant in my walk with God. Amen. Well, uh, in order to be stirred up, we need to, to be mindful. We need to put in remembrance of what God's done for us yesterday and in the past and in, and in the, the days gone by in order to, uh, amen, uh, to have the relighting and the reigniting of a spiritual fire in our hearts for the present and in the future. Deuteronomy 4.23, Take heed unto yourself, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you. And brethren, I'm afraid that as God's children, we are very prone to quickly forget, and we have a tendency to develop a sort of spiritual amnesia towards the truths and blessings God bestows upon our lives. Uh, amen. And, and I don't know why. Sometimes it's willful, willful ignorance or intentional forgetfulness. We intentionally want to put aside and, and to, to ignore the things that God's done for us yesterday, uh, somehow thinking or believing that God will not hold us accountable because we have uh, sadly forgotten what He's done. But I'm telling you, forgetfulness does not remove accountability. And just because you've forgotten and just because you have neglected and just have, because you failed to remember uh, and have become unthankful for what God has done in your life in days gone by does not mean God will not hold you responsible or accountable for your life spiritually. There is a connection between mindfulness and thankfulness and thankfulness and godliness in, over, in our overall lives as Christians. Now there's a position uh, that ye were, verse 17, Romans chapter number 6, that ye were the servants of sin. Here the apostle reveals some things he's alluded to on numerous times throughout the chapter how that before we got saved we were all in under the rule, the reign, the dominion and the authority of sin that dominated and controlled our lives. Before you got saved you were a servant of sin. 
You were a child of Satan. You may not have known it. You may have thought that you were walking in freedom and in liberty to do as you please and to have a big time. But in reality, you were fooled. And you were just being duped by the devil. And the devil was, uh, you were ignorant and oblivious to the fact, but the devil was pulling the strings. He was pushing the buttons. Uh, amen. He was calling the shots. You were just like a, a puppet on a string. A servant of sin and a slave uh, to Satan doing his bidding rather than your own. Uh, we were the servants of sin. Now I want to remind you that on yesterday's uh, broadcast, we saw how that according to verse 16, the apostle wrote how that unto whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. So bottom line, whoever or whatever we choose to yield ourselves to spiritually determines who or what we are servants towards and servants of. Whether it be a servant of sin to death or a servant of obedience unto righteousness. Who are you serving? Amen. What are you serving? Are you serving sin? Do you spend more time in your life uh, serving and obeying sin? Or do you serve righteousness? That uh, is a clear indication on uh, amen, who you, you've yielded your life to. Who or what are we servants of today? Who or what are we serving in our lives spiritually? Are we serving sin or are we serving righteousness through Jesus? Uh, amen. And may I just say it the way Paul says it on multiple times throughout the chapter. God forbid that myself or any other Christian that has been delivered out from under the rule, the reign, and the authority, and the dominion sin once held upon my life. God forbid that we would still choose to serve or yield ourselves and our lives into that which we have been delivered from. Why in the world would we want to serve and yield ourselves and the individual members of our bodies to that which has been slain, our flesh, the old Adamic nature of sin? It has received a mortal wound. It's not yet dead, but it's in the process of dying. And uh, the longer we live and the more mature we grow in Christ, uh, and the stronger the new man and the more of a grip and a grasp the new man takes hold of our lives spiritually, the weaker the old man, that, that old nature of sin that was slain, that received a mortal wound when it was nailed to the cross or right alongside the body of Jesus when he died in our place and for our sin, that old man of sin, it's uh, dying. It's growing weaker and weaker, having less and less of an influence in our lives. Why would we choose to serve that which is in the dying process? If you're saved, can I say this tonight, friends? Sin is an unwise and an unworthy investment for you to make in your life. Because it has no future, it has been slain, it has received a mortal wound. And it is in the process of growing weaker and weaker in your life until... It eventually dies. Don't serve that which is in the dying process. Sin is a lame duck in your life. Amen. One of these days, it's just as good as dead. So do not allow, don't yield yourself to sin. Don't obey uh, sin. Don't become a servant of sin. Why would I choose to spend my life serving something I've been delivered from and, and, and is actually in the weakening and dying process. I don't know why it's the case, but for some odd reason, a lot of us Christians sure do spend a lot of time serving the reign of sin, even though we've been set free for, out from under it. But again, Paul was thankful that he knew what it was to be delivered from the rule, the reign, the dominion, and the authority of sin. And can I just say this today, friend, if you remain mindful and thankful for that, uh, the fact that you have been delivered from the reign of sin, that I believe you'll be less likely to choose to live your life as a servant of sin and then under the, the reign of sin that you have been delivered from. All right, now there's a submission. But ye have obeyed, verse 17. Now here we find a word that Paul just continues to repeat throughout this current section of our study, and in verse 16 alone, the, one, the verse that we considered and examined yesterday, Paul used the word obedience or obey a total of three times. But now here in verse 17, we find the apostle making reference to this ever-important word. Again, he's repeating 
himself. And anytime you see the principle of repetition in scriptures, it means God's trying to get our attention. He's wanting us to, uh, to pay special attention and, and take special notice of whatever it is he continues to repeat over and over again. See, friend, I believe the reason Paul does this is because there is a strong connection between this idea of yielding ourselves to a certain person or thing and acts of obedience we commit towards whoever or whatever we choose to yield ourselves to. We've said it over the last couple of studies how that the word yield, the word yield means to cater, to capitulate, or to make a concession towards another uh, object or another individual. But my question is, how do we know and what is the real evidence uh, in our lives to the fact that we have and are continuing to yield, again, to cater to, to capitulate to, or to make concession, to concede to another person or thing? What are the e evidence? Well, I believe that the answer to that question has to do with whether or not we are willing to obey and submit ourselves to the commands, the orders, and the directives of that particular person. Uh, again, for instance, I may uh, be an employee of a, of a certain co company, and I've got a boss that I answer to, and I can call him boss all I want to. Or, or let's say that I'm in, in, a, in the Army or in a particular branch of the armed services, and uh, I answer to my commanding officer, whether it be a major or a general, whoever it is. And uh, I, I call him general. I call him commander. I call him chief. Or I call him boss on my job. But yet I don't do what he tells me to do. I don't follow instructions. I don't uh, submit myself to the orders that he gives to me. Well, I can call him whatever I want to call him and refer to him by whatever title I want to refer to him as. But I'm not proving my true allegiance and submission to him, whoever it might be, unless I'm willing to obey his orders. This modern, casual, convenient, customized version of Christianity that's on the scene in our day, people sing songs hypocritically like I surrender all and they talk about yielding themselves and their lives under the Lord all the live long day. But then they'll spend the overwhelming majority of their, of, of their time through the week living for themselves, serving sin, and fulfilling the lustful desires of their own flesh. And if a preacher stands up and tries to correct them for it, they'll call him a legalist and a Pharisee, all in the name of Christian liberty, because they somehow believe their salvation gives them the right to do whatever they want and live their lives any way they so choose to do so. Well, brother, all I can say is you, uh, you can call it whatever you want, but that's not a yielded or a surrendered life, so to speak. Now, you may say it's a life that's still yielding it to itself and to the old nature of, of its own sinful, lustful desires, but to Jesus, absolutely not. And bottom line, the greatest evidence that exists regarding a person and a life that has truly uh, yielded and surrendered itself unto the Lord are acts of submission and obedience that are committed by that person. There's a lot of scripture that speaks regarding this. Jesus asked the question, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and ye do not the things which I say? He was frustrated because they referred to him by his title. They, they were acting as if he was their Lord and their master, but they were disobedient and, and unsubmissive to him. And it offended him, rightfully so. Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Friend, uh, amen. Obedience. <clears throat> Just like in the book of James, it talks about uh, a dead faith. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Amen. Friend, I'm telling you, Faith without works is dead. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And hereby we do know that we know Him. I, I want to make sure that I know that I know that I'm saved. One of the ways I can know that I'm truly a child of God is if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him and keepeth not His commandments is a liar. 
And the truth is not in him, but whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him himself also to walk even as he walked. Obedience is the greatest evidence of the fact that we truly are a child of God. Friend, I'm telling you, if you truly are God's child, not to say that you won't occasionally fail and mess up and fall flat on your face because you will, but I'm telling you, within the depths of your heart, there is going to be a natural desire to obey and please the Lord your God. If your life is yielded and surrendered to Christ, then biblically speaking, it will be demonstrated by acts of submission and obedience under the commands, the directives, and the orders of the one that now has full dominion, authority, and control in over your life. Again, you're not your own. You don't have the right. We use Christian liberty as an excuse to, to do what we want to do and live the way that we want to live. But we don't belong to ourselves. Christ paid a high price for our lives. And every member of our body belongs to the Lord. And we don't have to have the right to do with our body what we want to do with it. Uh, amen. I don't have the right to think what I want to think, to say what I want to say, to watch what I want to watch, to listen to what I want to listen to, to, to feel the way I want to feel, to, to, uh, amen, to covet after what I want to covet after, uh, to go where I want to go, to feel the way I want to feel. No, my friend. Every member of my body belongs to the Lord. And I have the responsibility. And the Lord expects me to yield and submit my life, every member of my body, unto the Lord to do not what I want to do with it, but what He commands and expects me to do. Otherwise, uh, I can say whatever I want to say about yielding, submission, surrender, and obedience but it's nothing more. My words are nothing more than a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Now there's a foundation. And boy, I really do like this. From the heart. Here Paul reveals to us the source from which these acts of obedience flow. Regarding just exactly who or what we have yielded and surrendered ourselves to. And according to Paul, that source, that stream, that channel, and that conduit is nothing other than the heart of man. Uh, amen. There's something to be said about the heart, that innermost seat of emotions, the, the most fundamental element of our being, who we are. It comes from the heart. Luke 6, 43 and 40 through 45, Jesus said, For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit, for of thorns men do gather figs. Nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Amen. You see, friend, we can put on a show and mask who we really are on the inside by blurting out all sorts of religious verbiage and wearing all kinds of of Christian garb that makes us look all holy and spiritual on the outward. But I want to remind you today that while man looks on the outward appearance, God sees the heart. And I want to say this, and it's what the God, it is this. Uh, the God of heaven is not impressed one bit or one iota by how we present ourselves externally and the reputation we have among men on the outside. I'm not saying that what we look like on the outside or, or how we act is not important because it is. But what really and truly matters to the Lord our God is who we are internally and who He truly knows us to be on the inside. And someone once said reputation is what people perceive you to, to uh, perceive or think you to be as you present yourselves in public, while character is who God really knows you to be in private. And let me just say this this afternoon, friend. Who you really are in private is who you really are. It's not how you act around other people. Uh, amen. It's not the front you put on when you come to church. Amen. You put uh, the, the Christian costume. That's what it is. A lot of us are wearing the costume of Christianity in public. 
Amen. But when we take it off, we live like the devil in private. A lot of costume Christians uh, in our day that are as fake and phony and fraudulent as a $2 bill. Well, they know just exactly how to play the part, dress the part, and act the part of a Christian. The real and true attitude of their heart paints a totally different picture and tells an entirely different story. Sooner or later, they're going to make a mistake. And they're going to show their true colors for who they really are. Because eventually, their acts of obedience and submission will reveal who they are truly yielded and surrendered to. Whether it be sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. And friend, whether you are lost or saved, it makes no difference. Uh, you, you are serving someone or something. Don't you uh, think it for one second in your mind that you are not bound to anybody. No, friend, you are a servant. You're either a servant of sin or you are a servant of righteousness. You're either a servant of Satan or you're a servant of Jesus Christ. And the best way to know who you are serving today is to just examine your heart and see uh, that which you are obeying and submitting yourself to. Now there's a transcription. Amen. And this is going to be popular. Praise God. That form of doctrine. Verse 17. Here we find a word that has become very unpopular and even un unacceptable altogether even in many religious circles of our day and that is the word doctrine. And why? Because all too often the word doctrine is associated with another taboo world in our word in our current culture and that is the word religion. And so many times in our day, the words doctrine and religion are used in a condescending way to speak negatively towards any kind of religious or congregational structure whatsoever. Amen. And sadly, even many self-proclaimed Christians, they have adopted this comfortable, convenient, customized, and user-friendly version of modern-day Christianity that has embraced this idea that our worship and even our faith should be grounded in how we feel, what we think, or whatever we want to do. Or whatever kind of activity we want to engage in. We, want, we don't want any structure. We don't want any boundaries. We don't want any rules, any regulation in our lives. We want to do what we want to do. Uh, we want to emphasize feeling over the facts emotion over the doctrine. And I'm telling, I'm talking about a message that is hyper-positive in, in nature and exalts feeling over fact and desire over doctrine. Friends, this artificial and counterfeit version, well, if I don't be careful, I'm going to start preaching of what God established His church to be and how He designed for His people to live and conduct themselves it's leading and sending more souls to hell than just about anything else in this world. And you can say what you want about my religion and my doctrine, but I'm here to tell you that both of those words are biblical in nature. Don't you let some heretic or some liberal or, or, or some uh, felt needs promoter uh, of, a, of, a, of a counterfeit uh, gospel convince you that religion and doctrine are not a good thing. Friend, uh, you need religion in your life and you need doctrine. Amen. The real problem is that you don't want any authority. You don't want any accountability. You don't want anybody telling you what to do or how to live. You, don't, you, you want to run, your, the, run the show of your own life. You don't want to have to yield, submit, or surrender your life to anyone or anything else, including the Bible, except for the own your own lustful, the, the, the lustful desires of your own flesh. According to Paul, as it is recorded in verse 17, he had yielded and surrendered his life to the truths and the doctrines of God's Word. And according to Paul, he made it a high priority of his life as a born-again child of God to obey and submit himself to what the Bible says. So let me just say this, aside from what is preached and promoted uh, from many pulpits today. And if you don't get anything else from this edition and this episode of the Trumpet Series broadcast, hear this, friend. Doctrine matters. 
And even though many people consider it to be a bad thing, I believe it to be a good and a necessary thing. We may not necessarily agree on everything with anybody, but the grounds of our fellowship with other movements, other fellowships, other religious groups and denominations must always be based on doctrine. Amos 3.3, the question is asked, can two walk together except they be agreed? And I'm telling you, friend, the older I get, the longer I live on this earth, the more time I spend preaching and serving God, the more I am coming to the realization that doctrine matters. If you're watching or listening today, I want you to say that with me. Doctrine matters. And you uh, may want to uh, ignore it, uh, amen, but what you believe affects how you behave. Christian learning promotes Christian living. Duty is always founded in doctrine, and scriptural ignorance causes spiritual impotence. And nowadays it seems as if there's more confusion, more ignorance, and more misinterpretation and misapplication of the Word of God than there ever has been before. I've never seen the kind of mess we've got going on today. You know, things like the Holy Spirit's a woman. No, that's occultism, friend. I don't care how popular the preacher is who promotes it. It's heresy. And much of the reason for the confusion is based upon the fact that the church of the living God for far too long has forsaken doctrine for experience and has substituted the truths and the facts of the Word of God with feelings and emotion. You can have your experience, you can have your emotion and your feelings uh, amen, you can establish your life on signs and wonders and miracles and tongues and words of prophecy all you want. Amen, I'm going to build my faith and my life on the words and the doctrines and the truths of the Word of God. Paul had yielded himself, he had surrendered his life and had committed himself to obeying and submitting to the basic doctrines of the Bible. And personally, I believe we'd be in a whole lot better shape than we are right now in our modern day society if we'd live by and follow his example. If do doctrine was important to the Apostle Paul, doctrine ought to be important to you. And can I just say this? If I was in a church, amen, or in a religious group, or some cottage prayer meeting, amen, or some religious gathering, or some cult, that was preaching and teaching things that were contrary to the Word of God. I don't care how, uh, how fun the services were and how enjoyable and entertaining and exciting the so-called worship was. If the doctrine wasn't sound, fundamental, and biblical, I'd find me somewhere else to worship, praise God. Let me say it one more time today. Doctrine matters. Now there's a delegation, and I conclude with this today which was delivered to you. Paul reminds his audience of the fact that they didn't learn the truths and doctrines of the Word of God on their own or by themselves, but the doctrine they had received and had come uh, to possess, this doctrine was from someone else and from an outside or external source. And because of that, not only were they, they accountable to God for allowing their lives to be exposed to the truths uh, of this doctrine, but also they were indebted and were accountable to those who had cared enough about them to deliver this doctrine to them and to teach them the truths they knew now knew and possessed. Reminds me of 1 Timothy 1.5 where Paul wrote to young Timothy, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. The reason Timothy even had what he had and knew what he knew and possessed what he possessed as it related to the doctrinal truths of the Scripture is because both his mother and his grandmother loved and cared uh, about him enough to pass it down to him. Amen. Who, who loved and cared about your sorry, good-for-nothing soul? Who cared enough about you to be able to share with you some doctrine? and some scriptural truths of God's Word. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, Paul again wrote, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. I call this the discipleship verse. We're to pass it down. 
uh, amen, it's to be a domino effect, uh, domino effect, one generation teaching and passing down the doctrines, the truths, and the stories of God's Word down to the next generation. Psalm 78, verse 1, Give, O ear, O my people, to my law, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known. And our fathers have told us. Aren't you thankful for what your fathers and your grandfathers and your Sunday school teachers and your preachers and your pastors have taught you and told you? And because of that, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He hath done, for He established a testimony in Jacob. He hath appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them. Even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Friend, we simply cannot put enough of an emphasis or priority upon the importance of passing doctrinal truth and principles of the Scripture that are recorded for us in the Bible down from one generation to the next. That's what we're going to be doing here in just a little while at United Baptist Church. I'll be leaving uh, this place in about an hour to go pick up a van load of children to bring them to the church so that for just about an hour, that's all the time we have with them, but during that one hour time span, we're going to try to fill their mind with Bible stories and, and truths and principles and doctrines of the Word of God. So that when they grow old, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. That's the only thing that's going to save our world today, friend. The truth is whether or not future generations of people know and are aware of biblical truth and doctrine that you and I are so blessed to know and be aware of depends upon whether or not we love and care about them enough to pass it on down to them just as someone cared enough to pass it on down to us first. And the truth is all it takes is one break in the chain link to cause a generation to miss out on knowing the Bible and doctrinal truths, you and I who are saved are so blessed and joy. Friend, I want to remind you today, not everybody knows what you know. Not everybody has heard what you've heard. Not everybody is as blessed as you are blessed. We talk a lot about privilege in our day. And if we live within the confines of America, but especially the Bible Belt, we are so blessed that somebody cared enough to teach us and to pass down these truths and these traditions. And you can call it religion all you want to. You can call it doctrine and you can speak down about it, make light of it, have a negative connotation in your mind when you hear the word religion or doctrine. But let me tell you something, friend. You ought to uh, uh, bow down and kiss the floor of your church that somebody loved you enough to bring you to church and to teach you the doctrines, the truths, and the principles of the Scripture. Not only are we who currently have doctrine and truth that we possess, are, not we, are we not only count, accountable to those who passed it down to us, but we have also been commissioned and entrusted by God to be stewards and caretakers of that same doctrine as well. So, if it's going to be promoted, we're going to have to be the ones to promote it. If it's going to be championed, we're going to have to be the ones that champion it. If we're going to be, if it's going to be, uh, amen, defended and protected, it'll have to be us doing the defending and the protecting. Because there's simply no reserve ranks left to fill the gap beside us. I believe it's the book of Ezekiel. It said, I look for a man to stand in the gap and take up the hedge. Uh, but I found none. And friend, that's the reason there's holes in the walls. And that's, when the in that's why the enemy is uh, pouring in. <coughs> Just like the illegal immigrants are pouring over the southern border of our nation here in America. I'm telling you, the demons of hell are pouring over the border. The broken down walls of the church. Uh, amen. And the generational culture here in America 
Because somewhere along the line, somebody dropped the ball and somebody failed to stand in the gap and take up the hedge and to, and to fill the void and to make sure that there is a, a continuous chain that remains unbroken so that generation after generation will hear the truth, know the doctrine, and be aware of the principles of God's Word. If we don't do it, nobody else will. The fut and future generations will never hear or know the message of God's truth and doctrine. And I believe their blood will be on our hands for and because of it. Jude 1.3, the Bible says we are to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. In this world where there is so much wishy-washiness and instability to where it seems like more people are being carried about by every wind of doctrine, more so than at any other time before. I'm talking about a time to where people are no longer able to endure sound doctrine. Why? Because uh, an appetite has been, they have developed an appetite for something else besides sound doctrine. And the reason they've developed uh, an appetite that is contrary to what they need is because they've been fed uh, for so long something uh, other than the truth of God's Word. I'm here to tell you, friend, uh, the kind of appetite uh, the people of a particular church have, uh, that, that tells you a lot about what's being preached from the pulpit. And today, because it's not being preached and has not been preached for a long time now, men and women who sit on the pews Sunday after Sunday or once a month or however frequent or infrequent they're there, they're no longer able to endure sound doctrine. The Lord's looking for some men and women who'd not be afraid to stand up for doctrine, people who'd not be ashamed of doctrine, and people who'd be willing to earnestly contend for the doctrine they were so blessed to receive and the doctrine they'd, that's so graciously been entrusted into their care. And friend, you say, I don't want to promote doctrine because doctrine divides. I don't really like the word divide. I like the, the word separate. But friend, we're not supposed to yoke up or unite ourselves with just anything and everything. Amen. Especially when it comes to a, a heretic and a Bible denier. Somebody that doesn't believe the simple and basis, basic truths of God's Word, you and I are to avoid them. We're to mark them and to avoid them because they're dangerous and they'll lead your soul astray. If you get too close to them. Titus 1.9 Holding, let me give you just a few more verses about doctrine and we'll be done. Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able to by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Titus 2.1 But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. And friend, what you expose your life to from week to week. As you sit on a church pew, it doesn't need to be uh, based upon experience or emotion, but it needs to be built on sound and fundamental doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, 6, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. 1 Timothy 4, 13, The Bible says, Till I come, give attendance to reading to exhortation and to doctrine. 1 Timothy 4.16 Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Again, we want to talk about doctrine being a negative thing all the time. And we want to allow this negative connotation to enter into our mind every time we hear the word religion or doctrine. Well, you can have whatever kind of feeling you want to have, but doctrine is a biblical word. It's a scriptural word. It's important. It's necessary to make sure that the doctrine you're exposing your life to is sound and true. Very simply, aside from what popular religious culture may say or try to tell us, doctrine matters. Say that with me one more time. Doctrine matters. I'm thankful for doctrine. I'm both accountable and have been entrusted with the doctrine that's been passed down to my life to teach it to others so that they might know the truths and doctrine of God's Word as well and teach it to their children and make sure that this 
generational chain continues as, as doctrine and principle and truth and precept and stories of God's Word are passed down from one generation to the next. Father in heaven, I love you today and I'm thankful for this Bible study. And Lord, thank you for reminding me today that doctrine matters. And Lord, if we're not careful, even as preachers, we'll be influenced by this liberal theology and this liberal ideology that we're supposed to sacrifice all of our doctrines and all of, of our teachings that line up with the Bible just so we can coexist and just so we can get along with every uh, religious ideology and philosophy and theology that comes around regardless of whether or not it lines up with the Word of God. Friend, uh, Lord, I'm thankful to, tonight that doctrine matters. I'm thankful that I was raised up on uh, good water, not bitter water, Lord, I'm thankful I was brought, around, brought up around real fire and not strange fire. And God, I pray that we'd protect ourselves from false doctrine. And God, that we'd avoid it, we'd expose it, we'd mark it like the poisonous and venomous snake that it is. And Lord, if nobody gets anything else from the Trumpet Series Bible Study broadcast today, again, whether it be through Facebook, YouTube, podcast, live stream, Lord, I pray that they would know, understand, and realize that in spite of what the popular religious culture might say, doctrine matters. We love you. We thank you. We pray your blessing would be upon all of the Wednesday night services, whether it be United or somewhere else. We'll praise you in advance for who you are and what you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless. Have a good day and go out and support your Wednesday night Bible study and prayer meeting service tonight. Amen and amen.